0: Africa rise and shine Africa tholo Africa amuka na ona
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on double one nine two five kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Moussa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figley Lingwati. In our top stories an Africa, rise and shine at the sour. The United Nations Human Rights Office has welcomed the widening of the democratic space in Zimbabwe ahead of historic elections on Monday. And more than a thousand delegates from Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa gather at the Santon Convention Centre for the 10th BRICS Summit. In sports news, East African athletes look forward to the great health race. But first up, the news with Musa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Chinese President Xi Jinping has commended South Africa for putting together the best logistical arrangements for the hosting of the 10th BRICS Summit starting in Sandton, north of Johannesburg, this morning. The Chinese President's participation in the summit Was preceded by a state visit on Tuesday, where he announced a huge investment of over 14.1 million US dollars into the South African economy. The bulk of the money will go to infrastructure development projects. The summit will be attended by other BRICS leaders from Russia, India, and Brazil. Several other heads of state have also been invited. Speaking through an interpreter, Chinese President Xi Jinping says they are behind South Africa in hosting the BRICS summit.
3: We support South Africa in playing a bigger role in the affairs of the continent and on the international stage. The BRICS-Johannesburg Summit has special significance for BRICS cooperation in the new circumstances. As the chair, South Africa has done a great deal of effective work in organising the Johannesburg Summit. We applaud South Africa's efforts. And we will support South Africa in hosting a most successful summit. The
2: United Nations Human Rights Office have welcomed the widening of the democratic space in Zimbabwe ahead of historic elections on Monday and called on all stakeholders to ensure the poll is held in an environment where the rule of law is respected. The spokesperson for the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights expressed concern at the number of reports, particularly in rural areas of voter intimidation, threats of violence and harassment. Elizabeth Russell has called on authorities, political parties and their supporters to ensure that the elections are not marred by such acts.
4: We remain concerned, however, at the increasing number of reports, particularly in some rural areas, of voter intimidation, threats of violence, harassment and coercion, including people being forced to attend political rallies. There has also been the worrying use of disparaging language against female political candidates – In the run-up to elections previously in Zimbabwe, were very different, very much marred by violence. And and from what um, uh, we have been seeing, what we have been monitoring, um, there has not been that scale of violence. Nigerian
2: President Mohamedou Buhari has blamed the defections of 16 senators from the ruling party on local politics. He says they have no specific grievances against him or the government he leads. In a blow to Buhari ahead of the 2019 elections, which he intends to contest, 16 senators quit the ruling APC, with 14 of them joining the opposition PDP. In a statement, Buhari says APC had done its best to stop the defections, adding that such scenarios are not new as elections approach. Greece is observing three days of national mourning following the deaths of at least 74 people in wildfires around the capital, Athens. Pictures show burned down cars and homes with forests reduced to ashes as the flames quickly spread. One woman told the BBC that she and a boyfriend had to run for their lives.
5: We couldn't do anything. We couldn't even uh, save someone else. We just have to save ourselves, nothing more. (laughs) Everything was destroyed. And they would keep finding people dead in their in the bedroom, in their living room, because it was so fast that they couldn't even move.
6: They just died, just like that.
2: And finally, Spanish rescue services have rescued more than 400 migrants from the Mediterranean in a single day. The Spanish Maritime Safety Agency on its Twitter page said it picked up a total of 484 people in 30 makeshift vessels in the Strait of Gibraltar and Albaron Sea, which separates Spain from Morocco. According to a count by the International Organization for Migration, some 18,653 migrants reached Spanish shores between the beginning of the the year and the 18th of this month. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, na Africa,
7: The South African Broadcasting Corporation, SABC, is pleased to announce the second round of public consultations into the review of its 2004 editorial policy. This follows a vigorous and successful process in which the corporation first embarked on a process to review its 2004 editorial policy on the 31st of July
8: 2017. (laughs)
7: The editorial policy project team has since collated and consolidated the public input and submissions to develop a draft this draft policy is now available to the public and interested parties on www.sabc.co.za forward slash editorial policy submissions and inputs on the draft policy can be sent via email to policy at sabc.co.za The closing date is Wednesday the 1st of August 2018. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective.
1: The United Nations Human Rights Office has welcomed the widening of the democratic space in Zimbabwe ahead of historic elections on Monday and called on all stakeholders to ensure the poll is held in an environment where the rule of law is respected. A spokesperson for the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights expressed concern at the number of reports, particularly in rural areas, of voter intimidation, threats of violence and harassment. The Human Rights Office has called on authorities' political parties and their supporters to ensure that the elections are not marred by such acts. and Bryce Peace reports.
9: With historic polls just days away, the first in the post-Robert Mugabe era, mixed reaction from the United Nations as it welcomes the broad sentiment in the country but warns against some of the pitfalls. Elizabeth Throssell is spokesperson for the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights.
4: We remain concerned, however, at the increasing number of reports, particularly in some rural areas, of voter intimidation, threats of violence, harassment and coercion, including people being forced to attend political rallies. There has also been the worrying use of disparaging language against female political candidates.
9: The frontrunners in the selection are President Emerson Mnangagwa of ZANU-PF, who replaced non-agenarian Mugabe, who was forced from office last year, and MDC opposition leader Nelson Chamisa, who replaced Morgan Changarai after his death in February.
4: We note the signing of the peace pledge by the political parties on the 26th of June under the auspices of the National Peace and Reconciliation Commission. We welcome their commitment to promote a climate of peace and tolerance, accept the results of the elections, or challenge the results through the due process of law. In the run-up to elections previously in Zimbabwe, we were very different, very much marred by violence. And and from what um, uh, we have been seeing, what we have been monitoring, um, there has not been that scale of violence. Um, In fact, uh, civil society, people that that our colleague has spoken to, have expressed this cautious optimism. Um, It's far from from perfect, but there are encouraging signs. Free
9: and fair elections are viewed as critical to the lifting of sanctions against the southern African nation. The UN chief, Antonio Guterres, also weighed in earlier.
10: We all strongly
8: hope that the changes in Zimbabwe will lead for a country uh, able to uh, live uh, in full democracy, with full respect of human rights, and able to restore um, a development uh, process uh, Uh, that uh, I believe the resources of the country and the capacity of the Zimbabweans uh, fully justified. And I strongly hope that things will go in the right direction. We are in very close consultation with both SADC and the African Union in this regard.
9: United States Senators from the Foreign Relations Committee visited Harare last year and urged the holding of credible elections that could prompt the West to fully lift sanctions imposed on members of Zimbabwe's ruling elite since 2002. President Donald Trump extended sanctions against Zimbabwe for another year in March, saying even the new administration of President Mnangagwa remained a threat to Washington's foreign policy while calling for concrete actions on political and economic reforms. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York.
1: Meanwhile, millions of Zimbabweans outside the country will be unable to choose the country's next leadership. Many of them living in South Africa have lamented their inability to vote based on the cost of a trip home. They shared their hopes and fears for their country with political reporter Busi Chimombe.
11: Zimbabwe's Electoral Act stipulates that voters be resident in the country and cast their ballot at a specific polling station allocated in terms of where they reside. It only allows those on government service outside the country to vote. This place is Shingi a Zimbabwean living in Johannesburg in a difficult position.
10: I will not be going to Zimbabwe to vote. And that's purely logistical. I, wouldn't, I cannot, I think, afford the, the cost of, of going to do that. And also from a timing point of view, from the time the registration was announced, it was very difficult to plan and know when you are able to then make the second trip. It is a
11: lament repeated by many Zimbabweans living in South Africa. Jimmy, as he simply introduces himself, a WIRE artist plying his trade on the streets of Malville, Johannesburg, is hopeful that in the next few days he may be able to raise enough money to travel, having registered to vote, during the December holidays, when he went home. Despite this determination, he is somewhat ambivalent about what the poll will produce.
12: I think these elections are going to make a change if they make free and fair. But if it's not free and fair, I think I can just see a war in them. Because those ones, they are like soldiers, they won't remove them easily. You see.
11: Shepard Changi, a fellow informal trader, says while his family in Zimbabwe is optimistic about what the election could herald for the future, he is less so. Changi says that for him, the promise of change is an illusion.
8: What you want is uh, a new uh, system, a new government. This president, of course, uh, he is new uh, to the country uh, uh, when it comes to leading the country. But what people don't realize thats that, is that uh, he was the deputy of the former head of state. He promised many people different things like people stamping out corruption. But then what we realized later on, those people that, that escaped during the, the, the military takeover, when they came back, they were not arrested. Those very corruptive people, we thought they were going to be... He was supposed to lead by example, but then we didn't see any changes.
11: A key issue of this election will be what gains a politically stable environment could bring to turn around Zimbabwe's devastated economy, under longtime leader former President Robert Mugabe, who was ousted by the military in November last year, Zimbabwe's economy spiraled into freefall. The seizure of white-owned farms in the early 2000s resulted in the destruction of the agricultural sector. Hyperinflation and the collapse of the currency followed, and with the collapse of health and education services, millions fled always says key fundamentals must be put in place by the incoming government for her to consider returning home
10: where you know any ordinary worker can apply for a job get a position that you know that the uh, you're not going to be stuck with money in the bank accessibility to cash is not an issue accessibility to private education is not priced uh, way out of reach for example the banking sector is now working again. The Funding is available just from a business point of view. You're able to access funds. Uh they talk continuously about the ease of doing business. There are key things that I'm looking to see uh, to, that need to be changed way before I you know, stop thinking of moving back to Zimbabwe.
11: Changi says a lot rides on the selection for both Zimbabweans and the region.
12: People they are tired, they are suffering a lot. You, you can just you see... We can take your child from school to university, but they are just sitting. Their last hope is to come here to South Africa. That's why, you see, there's a lot of Zimbabweans. And we know that the citizen of here, they need to work as well. But uh, things are tough in the same, you see.
1: That was informal street trader Shepard Dvangi ending that report by Busichimombe Johannesburg. South Africa. A Chinese government has pledged over 190 billion rand into South Africa's economy. This came out during a state visit by Chinese President Xi Jinping in Pretoria yesterday afternoon. He met with President Cyril Ramaphosa, who is working hard to increase investment into the South African economy. The bulk of the money will go to infrastructure development projects, with ESCOM scooping a loan agreement of over 30 billion rand. Ndembomukoboe has more.
5: All the frills expected to welcome the leader of the world's second biggest economy were there, ranging from the thunderous 21 gun salute to a rendition by the South African National Defense Force military band. Now on his third visit to the country, President Xi Jinping's state visit coincided with the 20-year anniversary of the diplomatic ties between South Africa and China, and both leaders used the occasion to commit to take their relations to even higher level, with over 10 bilateral agreements and memoranda of understanding signed. And President Cyril Ramaphosa was all smiles as the Chinese government increased its investment into the country.
13: During this state visit, we were able to go through a number of issues affecting the two countries, including the strengthening of our comprehensive strategic partnership, which is really a platform to engage on matters of mutual interest between the two of us. We have signed, as you have witnessed, several agreements and memorandums of understanding that are intended to further deepen our relations, including investment commitments that have been struck to the value of 14.7 billion U.S. dollars.
5: Beijing also says the raft of signed economic and investment agreements is an indication of elevated relations. Speaking through an interpreter, the Chinese president vowed to expand imports from South Africa to help government achieve its developmental obligations he says they want ordinary people to benefit from their bilateral relations
3: China supports South Africa in hosting an investment conference and jobs summit and will take active measures to expand imports from South Africa so as to support the government in achieving its development agenda and priorities we both underscore that we need to put people at the center of our cooperation so that the Chinese and South African people will gain greater benefits from our collaboration.
5: And the Chinese investments into the country will go a long way to help the struggling power utility ESCOM to overcome its economic woes. The state-owned companies received a government guaranteed loan from the Bank of China at the tune of 33 billion rand. ESCOM has been struggling with the cash problems for a while. This week the company announced that it has made a loss of 2.3 billion Rand for the 2017-2018 financial year. Its chief executive officer Pagamani Hadebe says the investment into the power utility is a sign of confidence in the new management.
14: This is the changing world in Eskom, For an institution that last year from July up until December could not access even a cent from the market. We're beginning to see investors coming in. For example, since January we've been able to raise uh, 57 billion. Uh, this 2.5 billion is in addition to that where the new management and the decisions that have been made have attracted some of the investors that otherwise would
5: not have been. Since the signing of diplomatic ties between South Africa and China, Relations between the two countries have developed from a mere partnership into a comprehensive strategic partnership headed by the two presidents and The fact that president Cyril Ramaphosa will undertake a reciprocal state visit later this year Is a testimony to growing relations between the two sister republics both leaders will participate in the 10th BRICS summit starting in Johannesburg on Wednesday I am Debo Mokoba in Pretoria <laughs>
1: More than 1,000 delegates from Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa will gather at the Sandton Convention Center in Johannesburg today, the 25th of July in 2018, for the 10th BRICS Summit. The heads of state of the BRICS countries will first preside at the Business Forum, which will provide direction on strategic issues under discussion. This is the second time South Africa has hosted the summit. South Africa will remain chair of BRICS until the 31st of December 2018. 2018. 2018, Amina Akram reports. Captains
15: of industry, heads of state, civil society, government leaders, business delegates from BRICS countries will this week gather in Johannesburg for the 10th BRICS summit. This, in order to deliberate on strategic, economic, and political matters affecting the future of BRICS. The BRICS block groups of countries include Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Llewellyn Landers is Deputy Minister at the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. He says South Africa has proposed key issues to be adopted at this year's summit. The summit will culminate in the adoption of what we
14: call the Johannesburg Declaration, which will include our joint commitments for the year ahead. South Africa has proposed the following for adoption at the summit. One, the establishment of a working group on peacekeeping, two, the establishment of a vaccine research center for collaboration with BRICS vaccine innovation, the establishment of a BRICS gender and women's forum.
15: The summit will also discuss various strategies that can strengthen BRICS economic partnerships.
14: This is intended to foster discussions to address opportunities provided by the fourth industrial revolution. We believe that these proposals will go a long way in consolidating cooperation amongst the BRICS partners as we enter the second decade of BRICS. We expect that the leaders and heads of state will review the political and security environment globally and express their views accordingly. BRICS countries understand that inclusive socio-economic development cannot be achieved in a world that is insecure and unsafe.
15: President Ramaphosa has also invited other African leaders to attend the summit despite them not being part of BRICS. President from Namibia, Gabon, Angola, Senegal, Uganda, Togo and Egypt will attend the summit as part of the outreach program.
13: When we were accepted, we immediately uh, made it clear to the other participants that as an African country, we were there to advance an African agenda. We did a number of things that would like to believe have demonstrated uh, that we, we wanted to be seen more as an African participant rather than as a single country participant. The first thing that we did was to encourage the BRICS countries, the other four, to agree on what we call an outreach uh, type of arrangement so that when bricks meets it should not just be the heads uh of, of government of those countries that are there the five we should have uh, uh, an opportunity to invite a whole range of others
15: the 2018 BRICS summit in johannesburg marks a milestone as it represents the first decade since the groupings first summit in russia in 2009 The BRICS Corporation was formed in the aftermath of the 2008 global economic crisis. The aim of the corporation was to strengthen political and economic relations between the five countries and also restore global financial and economic stability. As host of the summit, South Africa is able to set the agenda. Brazil is set to host the 11th BRICS Summit for October 2019. I am Amina Akram in Johannesburg.
1: As Eskom signs a loan with the China Development Bank, the organization Undoing Tax Abuse says it's going to pursue cases of those involved in irregular expenditure. This week, South Africa's power utility revealed that it uncovered nearly 20 billion rand in irregular expenditure, dating as far back as 2012. The Eskom board says it's in the process of addressing and closing out all the irregularities. Hilda Kassa reports.
16: ESCOM has signed 33.4 billion rent loan with China Development Bank. This increases the utility's funding requirements to 66% of its 72 billion rent target. CEO Pagamani Hadebe says the utility expects to have concluded its entire funding requirement in the next two months. This loan will be used for construction of Kusile Power Station.
14: It highlights the confidence that they have with us Chinese, but it's not just the Chinese and external market that it has access to, uh, to ESCOM. We're also seeing an increasing demand in the domestic market, which is great for us.
16: ESCOM's irregular expenditure went up from 3 billion in 2017 to 19.6 billion in 2018. 60% of incidents relate to administrative non-compliance. Other irregularities were due to companies doing business with ESCOM not submitting tax clearance certificate, particularly overseas companies. This amounted to more than 3 billion rent. The board says irregular expenditure could increase further in 2019. Organization Undoing Tax Abuse says this demonstrates the extent of the rot at ESCOM, and it calls for those responsible to be held to account.
0: So when you look at the irregular expenditure, in the 2016 year, it was almost 340 million or so. However, it has since grown from 2016 to 2017 by more than 860% to 3 billion red. And when you look at it from 2017 to 2018, where we are now, it has grown by more than 650%, whereby now it is at 19.6 billion red.
16: ESCOM's liquidity position is also a massive and growing concern. Municipality alone owns the company 30 billion rent, so it is responsible for about 14 billion of that. I can't afford to pay the high electricity bill. I don't work. I own a small business and I have many kids to take care of. ESCOM must lower electricity.
0: We are struggling. A lot of people are not paying electricity, and it is causing problems. But ESCOM as well is causing problems by always increasing tariffs on electricity.
11: We buy electricity, and the units are not the same. They are lower. We cannot afford to keep on buying electricity, spending more than 100 rand a week.
16: ESCOM says it will start bulk electricity in the Mfuleni local municipality in Gowdeng, with effect from 6 August due to monthly increase of the municipality's debt. There are reports that the Department of Home Affairs will begin using alternative sources of electricity, leading to questions about who will opt out next. I'm Hilda Gassan in Johannesburg.
17: BRICS is an important global formation with the member nations being Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. This year, South Africa is privileged to host the 10th summit from Wednesday the 25th of July to Friday the 27th. The 2018 BRICS event seeks to focus on strategy for economic partnership towards the pursuit of inclusive growth and advancing the 4th Industrial Revolution. And Channel Africa will be there to bring you up-to-date news and live broadcasts from 1100 hours Central African time. And for up-to-date news and views on BRICS, you can get at hashtag BRICS. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective.
1: South Africa's Justice and Correctional Services Minister Mike Masuta says implementing the nelson mandela rules for the treatment of prisoners will encourage the humane treatment of inmates the world over he spoke at the drakenstein correctional facility in PAL, where he launched the rules the event is part of commemorating the centenary birthday celebration of madiba the mandela prisoners the mandela rules are a set of universally acknowledged minimum standards for the treatment of prisoners To which member states of the United Nations committed themselves, Zaline Merrington has more.
6: The Nelson Mandela rules for the treatment of prisoners were first adopted in 1955 and in 2015 they were revised. Revised areas include medical aid and health services, disciplinary action, investigations of death and torture in custody and access to legal representation, among others. The aim of the rules is to ensure that prisoners are treated in a humane way. Masuta says though not legally binding, the rules could improve the lives of those behind bars.
12: They provide a comprehensive and a very powerful guide that will enable us to implement our laws here and elsewhere in the world more effectively in a better coordinated manner and all for the good and betterment of the quality of life
5: of our inmates.
6: One of the inmates at Rakenstein Correctional Facility, Clinton Leroux, explained that through the Nelson Mandela rules, offenders like himself can turn their lives around. the programs
12: and with all the NGOs and people that volunteered and gave me a hand up, I needed to grab on. I needed to look them in the eye and say, I am willing to change and take this opportunity. ...and use it to better myself, so that society and the public and all whom I've harmed can see the true and actual worth that we possess.
6: Masuta added that a way of curbing the problem of overcrowding in prisons is to decriminalise some non-violent crimes.
12: Some of the offences that used to be in our law, for example, are now uh, things that, uh, for example, uh, same-sex relations... There are communities who would still feel strongly today in South Africa that uh, that should continue to be outlawed. But uh, thank God we have a bill of rights that says people have the right to sexual preferences, etc.
1: And that was South Africa's Justice and Correctional Services Minister Mike Masuta ending that report by Zelene Merrington. Our headlines up next with Fan Musa
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne on The headlines: Chinese President Xi Jinping has commended South Africa for putting together the best logistical arrangements for the hosting of the 10th BRICS summit, starting in Santa, north of Johannesburg. This morning, the United Nations Human Rights Office have welcomed the widening of the democratic space in Zimbabwe ahead of historic elections on Monday, and have called on all stakeholders to ensure that the poll is held in an environment where the rule of law is respected. And Egyptian police have killed 13 jihadists in a shootout in North Sinai as Cairo conducts an operation against the Islamic State group in the region. Those are the stories making headlines.
1: Yesterday marked the end of the ninth outbreak of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The World Health Organization has become one of the first organizations to congratulate the Central African country and all those involved in ending the outbreak while urging them to extend this success to combating other diseases in the DRC. Unlike previous Ebola outbreaks in the country, this one involved four separate locations, including an urban center with river connections to the capital, and to neighboring countries as well as remote rainforest villages. There were initial concerns that the disease could spread to other parts of the DRC and to neighboring countries. Spumele Zondi spoke to Dr. Saucy Fall, Regional Emergency Director for the WHO's Africa region.
18: How was the Ebola outbreak contained so quickly this time? Let me first of all
8: congratulate you. Democratic Republic of Congo for this rapid response because this outbreak was particularly complex, threatening tre- tre- an urban center and many remote areas. So the country was quick in declaring the outbreak in line with international health regulation and inviting WSN partners to come on board. So together we were able to rapidly mount this important and massive response in a well-coordinated manner to, up to the most remote areas.
18: This outbreak was, as you say, it was in various parts of the country. It did not spread to neighboring countries, as sometimes Ebola outbreaks do in other parts of Africa, as the West Africa one did um, at a certain point in time. How was that managed?
8: In fact, the risk was very high. When the outbreak reached Mandaka, this big urban city with close to 2 million people, and very heavy traffic by river, by Uh, So, our response was organized around two approaches, containing very quickly the outbreak in Bandaka, in Siobal City, at the same time trying to control it as much as possible in the very remote area. So, in Bandaka, it was important to have active case funding and very intense contact tracing to make sure also that people are not infected in the health facilities by promoting infection prevention and control. So we use both traditional you know traditional intervention like investigation, contact tracing, but this time also we have introduced the Ebola vaccine. So all people who are in contact with cases and the contacts of contacts and health workers at frontline were vaccinated. We managed to vaccinate over three thousand three hundred people and none of them developed Ebola symptoms. It you was know, very important as part of the response. Tell us about this Ebola vaccine that you introduced. So this is a, an experimental vaccine that was tested in Guinea in 2015 2016 So we use it, you know, using the ring vaccination approach, meaning that the people at high risk, like the health workers and even our team at Frontline, were vaccinated. The people who are in contact with Ebola cases in the community also were vaccinated and the contacts of contacts that helped us to really stop the outbreak because we didn't have anybody who were vaccinated who contacted the disease, despite the fact they were all at high risk.
15: You
18: say it was an experimental vaccine. So how do we know then that it has worked, it's the one that's contributed and it works properly?
8: As I was saying, this vaccine was tested in Guinea in 2015, 2016. You already know that it is an effective vaccine. But you know the process to license a vaccine is very long. So WHO Strategic Advisory Group advised to use the vaccine in case we have a new Ebola outbreak. We know already that the vaccine is very effective and safe. That's why it was recommended by WHO committee. So I think the vaccine contributed a lot to stopping the outbreak.
18: Uh, Dr. Fao, what happens now? The, the DRC has declared that there's, uh, the, the current spread of Ebola is over. Um, there are no new cases that have been reported. What happens now? Do you wait and watch again? What's the story?
8: Very important question. We have still our teams on the ground. We have what we call the 90 days plan to continue working with the country to strengthen the capacity for surveillance, rapid detection and improving the health system capacity. Actually, we know the risk and we know the capacity gap we have. We are going to undertake what we call an after-action review to learn lessons both from WSO and the country and to plan for medium and longer term health security prevention and preparedness plan. This is important for the country. At the same time, we know that apart from Ebola, there are many other diseases killing people in their Congo, like Ebola, typhoid, measles. So we want to take this opportunity really to reinforce the system to make sure that people in this country are prevented from, you know, preventable diseases. At the same time, they are strengthening the system by putting priority on preparedness and rapid control of this type of outbreaks.
1: And that is Dr. Sosi Sol, Regional Emergency Director for the World Health Organization's African region on the line with Pumelele Zondi. South Africa's Department of Environmental Affairs has almost doubled its controversial annual export quota for skeletons from captive-bred lions. The announcement was made public just days before the United Nations Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, CITES, whose technical committee met in Geneva to discuss the implications of a major report on the impact of lion bone trade on beleaguered wild lion populations. Dr. Mark Jones, Associate Director at Born Free Foundation, says his organization published a report entitled Cash Before Conservation, exposing the cynical breeding of lions in South Africa for hunting and bone
19: trade. Yes, well we learnt last week that South Africa's Department of Environmental Affairs has increased its annual export quota for skeletons and captured deadlines from 800 last year to 1500 for the remainder of 2018. And we're really, really shocked and dismayed at this, what appears to be a very cynical move. We don't think there's any scientific justification whatsoever for the move. Indeed, we think that increasing the quota in this way will put wild lions, not just in South Africa, but across the African continent, at risk of poaching. The demand for lion bone increases with the increased quota as consumers in Asia and elsewhere view the product as a legitimate product in light of the quota, and because the legal trade from captive bread lines will give poachers and traffickers the opportunity to launder bones from wild lions into trade And we believe that this damages South Africa's international reputation as a destination for responsible wildlife tourism and for responsible ship stewardship of wildlife. And of course, as well, it compromises the welfare of thousands of captive bred lions that are living in captive facilities across South Africa.
20: Now Mark, this announcement came before the UN Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species whose technical committee met in Geneva to discuss the implication of a major report on the impact of lion bone trade. What does this mean with regards to the wild lion population?
19: Yes, we were represented. I was present at the Convention on International Trade for Endangered Species a technical meeting, Animals Committee meeting, just last week in Geneva, and that meeting was due to discuss a report that had been commissioned to examine the impact of lion bone trade on wild lion conservation and that report throws up a number of very very worrying issues. There seems to be an increasing demand for lion bones across parts of Asia and within parts of Africa but the main importers of lion bones are particularly Vietnam and the Lao People's Democratic Republic and the report shows up that the increased demand for lion bones increases the risk that lions across the continent, but particularly from smaller subpopulations of lions, for instance in western central Africa, might be targeted by poachers in order to obtain bones to feed into this increasing demand across Asia. And we certainly believe that this report supports our call There to be zero legal trade of bones from any source, including South Africa's wild lions, into international markets, because we believe that that trade stimulates the demand and puts wild lions at greater risk. The fact that South Africa's government, the Department of Environmental Affairs, saw fit to release information about their vastly increased quota before the CITES meeting last week had even had a chance to look at the and consider the implications of the report that it had commissioned strikes us as being incredibly cynical and incredibly short-sighted of the South African government, and we suspect that the government is becoming very heavily influenced by a relatively small number of people who are looking to gain financially from the sale of bones from captive bred lions.
20: Conservation scientists and lion range states governments are said to have recognized the international trade in lion bones as an emerging threat to beleaguered wild lions. Was South Africa part and parcel of the meeting and what was its uh, position on that?
19: Yes, indeed. The fact that lions are in very serious decline across Africa, there's probably as few as 20,000 lions across Africa and unless something very radically changes, those numbers are probably going to continue to fall. Now, lions are affected by many threats, including habitat loss, loss of their prey, and increasing conflicts with people as they come into contact with people who are moving into previously areas that were predominantly inhabited by wildlife. Um, But the trade in lion products, and particularly lion bones, has been recognized as a major threat to the future of many lion populations by both the scientific community in the form of the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, which recognized this in its so-called red list assessments of lions back in 2016, and also by a meeting of all lion range states that took place in Entebbe in May 2016 that recognized the threat that international trade in lion bones posed to wild lions, and South Africa was very much a part of that meeting.
20: How has this U.S. moratorium on the import of hunting trophies from captive lions impacted on lion breeders'
19: income? Well, certainly wild lions have been in such precipitous decline across the continent. Within South Africa, the numbers of lions being captive bred in intensive breeding facilities has increased markedly, and we highlight the increase in the dangers and the negative connotations for not just wild lion conservation, but also obviously the welfare of captive bred lions in our report, Cash Before Conservation.
1: That was Dr. Mark Jones, Associate Director at Born Free Foundation on the Line from West Sussex in England, speaking to Wendile Khalipa. Our economics update up next with Tabi Hoko.
17: Good morning. Chinese President Xi Jinping has condemned, or rather commended South Africa for putting together the best logistical arrangements for the hosting of the 10th BRICS summit starting in Sandton, north of Johannesburg this morning. The Chinese president's participation in the summit was preceded by a state visit on Tuesday where he announced a huge investment of over 14.1 million U.S. dollars into the South African economy. The bulk of the money will go to infrastructure development projects. The summit will be attended by other BRICS leaders from Russia, India and Brazil. Several other heads of state have also been invited. Speaking through an interpreter, Chinese President Xi Jinping said they are behind South Africa in hosting the BRICS summit
3: we support South Africa in playing a bigger role in the affairs of the continent and on the international stage. The BRICS-Johannesburg Summit has special significance for BRICS cooperation in the new circumstances. As the chair, South Africa has done a great deal of effective work in organizing the Johannesburg Summit. We applaud South Africa's efforts. And we will support South Africa in hosting a most successful summit.
17: Meanwhile, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has highlighted the importance of different countries working together to advance technologies across the globe. He was giving the keynote address during a high-level Chinese delegation visit to the Science Council for Science and Industrial Research Center in the capital of Victoria. Ramaphosa officially opened the South Africa-China Scientists High-Level Dialogue, encouraging nations to share their expertise to advance human knowledge.
13: The development of skills and expertise underpins all preparation for the participation in the fourth industrial revolution. This is where international cooperation becomes very crucial and critical. The frontiers of human knowledge are expanded through joint investments, the pooling of resources, and the sharing of experience and expertise. This is the way the world is going, where no one nation can hope to excel on its own, but that nations do need to partner with others in order to achieve great success.
17: South Africa and Russia are exploring ways to gain influence in the market for platinum group metals. South Africa's mineral resources minister Gwede Mantashe plans to use the BRICS summit to urge cooperation to stimulate demand for metal after a slump in recent years. Russia, South Africa, and Zimbabwe produce the majority of global platinum she has met his Russian counterpart, Dmitry Kobulkin, and he explains.
20: We are talking to Russia about mining, material, but particularly about platinum group metals. Because between ourselves, uh, Russia and Zimbabwe, we are producing more than 90% of platinum of the world. But we are price takers, and number two, We have no control over the demand and supply. It's just a free flow. We're getting our heads together and saying, how to ensure that platinum doesn't lose its value and we sustain its huge value.
17: Cabinet has approved that Namibia continues consultations to refine the country's position on the Southern African Customs Union SAKU Revenue Sharing Agreement. This according to Deputy Information and Communication Technology Minister Angel Nawatiseb. He says that the Namibian Cabinet has noted that the proposed changes to the revenue sharing arrangement were not consistent with the guiding principles of the union and may result in an unfair loss. To some member states and unfair gains to others the u.s dollar trades at 1014 Botswana Pula it's at 984 in Zambia in brics currencies as the u.s dollar is trading at 376 Brazilian real at 6298 Russian ruble and at 6875 Indian ruby 681 Chinese yuan at 1337 to the South African rand it's also trading at 76 pence to the British pound, 85 cents to the Euro, Golden Thousand, $224, mm. Platinum, $829 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $73.90 a barrel. From an African perspective, I'm Tabiso
1: Sigilo Lingwati up next with our sports update.
0: First up in our sports update, it's football news. FIFA World Cup bound South African National Under-17 Women's Football Team Bandwana won bronze at the recently ended BRICS tournament that took place at the Veds Rugby Stadium in Johannesburg. The week-long tournament saw Brazil winning gold while China came second to grab silver. Bandwana started their preparations with a thumping A2 win over a visiting USA select side goal for girls before starting the BRICS tournament with another convincing 5 1 win over India on the 18th of July. They then played to a goalless draw against Brazil the following day before going down 2 1 to China on Friday, having played non stop football in successive days. They then played to a 2 1 draw with Russia on Sunday to seal a third place finish. The Simpure Lulu side is headed for FIFA World Cup in Uruguay later this year, where among their opponents are Brazil. It has been confirmed that two East African countries of Kenya and Tanzania will be participating in the second edition of the Arusha Great Health Athletics to be held in Tanzania on the 29th of July. Events coordinator Amani Ngoka says the registration exercise, which has begun at Sheikh Amri Abaid Stadium, goes on smoothly and that apart from Kenyan athletes whose number is to be unveiled later, there are at least 1,500 runners going to participate in the Great Health 2018 tournament athletics the registration exercise will go on until Friday as Tokyo melts in a record-breaking heat wave Olympic organizers have been looking at ways to combat the heat wave the 2020 Games rolls into town in two years here's the Tokyo 2020 spokesperson Masa Takaya
12: so heat-proof road surfaces uh, actually one of the uh, countermeasures countermeasures on heat uh, introduced by the Tokyo Metropolitan Government and the national government, uh, we are happy. To, we are pleased to see that um, Tokyo Metropolitan Government has a plan to install these um, heat-proof uh, road uh, road surfaces uh, in the uh, very city center uh, with a total length of more than 100 kilometers, and this includes the marathon course. Uh, so that uh, it will be able to help, the, uh, it, will be he- it, 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 it will be able to
18: contribute to the uh, uh, countermeasures on heat.
0: And finally, cricket news Faf du Duplessis has defended Dale Steyn and his entire pace attack's performance following the side's 2-0 series defeat against Sri Lanka. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, amika na
19: unai.
1: Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at this hour. The United Nations Human Rights Office has welcomed the widening of the democratic space in Zimbabwe ahead of historic elections on Monday and more than a 1,000 delegates from Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa are gathering at the Sandton Convention Center for the 10th BRICS Summit. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Lebu Munamukhulu, and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org. Tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or WhatsApp on 277 Are Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is freshly ground with the track title Doobie Doo.
21: And every me And then I'll know you feel the rhythm of Love, love, love